0: It's August, which apparently in Indiana means the summer is over. (laughs) In the state of Michigan, that was literally against the law. There was a law that was passed that required schools to start after Labor Day, and that was the law of the land. So, just so you know, this state is illegal, (laughs) and all the kids said amen. Seriously, it's been a great summer, and uh, this marks kind of the turning for us. It's been a great summer for our family. We were on some uh, family vacation. We um, spent some time with some families uh, from this church at a family camp in um, southern Michigan. Um, Spent some time uh, celebrating our 24th wedding anniversary. Had a son who um, got engaged, and uh, while away, I was also working on a, a book project that'll be released sometime in 2018, first one being published through Crossway on the subject of lament. So you've heard much of that material, some of it is uh, still in process of being developed. While, um, while I was away, uh, in and out here, we had uh, a great time of um, summer ministry. You heard from some pastoral residents as uh, some young guys were uh, talking about what it means to have this kind of come to Jesus moment, and thank you for encouraging them as you have. You've seen some uniquely gifted guys who are part of the orbit of our church, and it's just awesome to be able to deploy them out. A couple weekends ago, we had a Summerfest, which was our attempt to provide an opportunity to build some bridges of grace that provide... Um, context for sharing the weight of truth. We had um, about 1,200 people who were here, just a phenomenal um, evening with all sorts of games and activities and relationship building uh, opportunities. We had pies that were made. We had 90 of those that were given away, so we know about 90 families or so were here that are not connected to College Park Church. In fact, you may be here today because of that Summerfest event, and as a part of my job description, I spent some time in a dunk tank, so have to get a Master's of Divinity degree to do things like that, so. We also had completed a week of ministry with Spring Hill Camps here, and um, also Extreme Teens had between the two about 370 kids, and we know that about 20% of those kids are not from this church. So the last couple of weeks have um, really been some fruitful moments of ministry, and I want to encourage you to continue in that vein, finding ways to build relationship capital uh, with your neighbors to be able to talk about the most important truths in all of the world, namely the Gospel. And that's why we're gathered here today. This morning we're starting a new uh, series for four weeks on the nature of discipleship at our church. It's called Following Jesus Together. And the aim is coming out of this summer series of what it means to talk about the Gospel, then the second question is how do we develop a culture, or think of it this way, a, a, a discipleship ecosystem, if you will, where spiritual growth is taking place in all of our lives. I think it was around the fourth grade that I learned that plants germinate. And I remember this experiment that we did. Maybe you did this in your uh, educational experience. We took a, a seed, I think it was of a, of a green bean, and we, we put it in a plastic bag and, and put a, a, a moist Um, towel next to it and then put that bag in the sun and saw with our own eyes this sort of miracle that happens that God is divinely designed that when sunlight and water get around this seed that then this this little sprout begins the seed begins to crack and this bean sprout emerges and it was awesome over a period of days or or weeks to kinda see that little plant grow that in the right environment that there were particular things growth that was going to happen because of a sovereign design of a beautiful creator And, and what i want us to think about is what are the ingredients at our church that create an environment for disciples what's the environment that helps us to grow spiritually now you need to know that this is not a new question. This, this question is something that really our church has wrestled with since its founding in the 1980s. But I will tell you that in the last five years, our elders have really thought deeply about this particular subject. In part because when we completed this facility in 2012, there was a little bit of concern that we had, which is this, that as the church got larger, as the budget doubled and as more staff were added and more and more people came, there there sort of is this gravitational pull of a large church. And that gravitational pull sort of tips you towards managing all the programs, all the strategies, all the budgetary things, and before you know it, discussions as elders and even as staff can mostly relate to the structures of ministry and not necessarily about the people of ministry. So we kind of laid down a marker in 2012 and said, you know, we want to kind of pull against that, that gravitational pull. Nothing wrong with a large church, but I think we all kind of sense that tendency towards that. And so we laid a marker down with Colossians 1.28, which said that we want to present everyone mature in Christ. So we started asking ourselves, what does it mean to be elders? What does it mean to be shepherds? How do we help us keep a battleship mindset when there is a temptation for our people, for you, for me, to sort of think of the church like a cruise ship? This, this place that they come to serve my needs and what I want, and, and all the questions that relate to what does the church really need to be. Behind the scenes, we've been adding a number of different initiatives and, and emphases. For example, the pastoral residency is part of that strategy to, to equip and train and deploy soul care training for counselors and small group leaders so people are equipped to be able to apply the word in people's lives on an individual basis the whole vision behind the next door mission came out of that discussion the idea being that we need to reach people in our city by multiplying healthy churches by mobilizing our people so Sending folks to Fisher, sending folks to Castleton, is all part of a strategy for us not just to plant churches, but also to mobilize us as a congregation to, have, to ask ourselves, how do we get engaged in ministry? The emphasis on covenant membership, even covenant renewal, sprang out of this discussion. The prioritization of shepherding with our elders and even dividing the congregation into various parishes also came out of all of this discussion. So all of this has been a part of our focus on sort of this internal disciple-making culture within our church, and as we've made progress with that, it also has become clear that we need a, a simple, clear way to communicate what are the steps that we want people to take in terms of what it means to follow Jesus. In other words, when somebody receives Jesus, when someone comes to faith, when they come on a Sunday morning, what's next? What do they do next? And how do we create this environment, this disciple-making ecosystem, if you will, that will help people to grow and encourage all of us in our individual responsibilities. So over the last couple years, our community life team, our pastoral staff have been working diligently to try and answer that particular question. What is our disciple-making strategy? And this morning what I want to do is to begin to lay that out for you so that you will not just know the strategy, but that you'll also know what your role is in that strategy. So our communications team has served us really well. They've developed a video that summarizes the whole picture of where this series is going. So I want you to watch this because this will give you a good overview of what's coming up.
1: At College Park Church, we exist to ignite a passion to follow Jesus. Our mission is clear, simple, and compelling. But the question that emerges is, how do we ignite this passion? How do we take steps forward as we live out our mission? Our strategy can be explained using three words, belong, grow, and multiply. First, the Bible teaches that we aren't meant to walk alone. This means that we want you to belong to a people, a community of faith that you can walk with through all of life's challenges. It's in the community of covenant membership and also in groups that we know others and are known by others. By walking alongside other believers, we become part of something bigger than ourselves. We belong to a people. Second, we want everyone at College Park to grow in maturity in Christ because we are meant to grow. Whether you've been a follower of Jesus for five days or 50 years, all of us are called to grow. In other words, as you grow in your knowledge and love of God and his word, you grow in becoming more like Jesus. We do this at College Park through things like classes, groups, discipleship relationships, and serving. But it doesn't end there. Third, we are called to multiply because we are on mission. Igniting a passion to follow Jesus does not mean staying static. It means multiplying. When we're belonging and growing, we are equipped to make more disciples of Jesus as we share the gospel, disciple the next generation, be good neighbors, start churches around the city, and answer the call to go to the ends of the earth. If we're going to ignite a passion to follow Jesus, then we need to belong, grow, and multiply for the glory of God and the good of our city and world. Everyone has a next step to take as we live out our mission together. So, what's your next step?
0: Our aim this morning is to talk about our mission as a church and to answer this particular question. How do we attempt to create a culture of passionate followers of Jesus? Like, How do we do that? And how do we do that together? Not just structurally, not just strategically, but how do we do that together? How do you do that in your arena of influence? And how does the Bible think about what the church is supposed to be? You see, every gospel-centered church essentially has the same mission. It's been given to every church by Jesus in Matthew 28, which essentially is to go and make disciples. Now, every church expresses that uniquely and differently, but that that mission of making disciples of all nations is what every church has been charged by Jesus to do. Now, at College Park, we express that in our little lingo as igniting a passion to follow Jesus. What we mean by that is that we're aiming to make disciples and every sunday when we gather like we have this morning we are re-engaging in that mission because the church and not just this structure of the church but you as the church we are the chosen vehicle by god to make disciples in the world the church is god's plan for that to take place so when you think about the church's mission there's, I think, probably no better text in the Bible that summarizes the essence of what the church is than Ephesians 4, to 16. This text shapes, or maybe better, it should shape how you think about the church. So what I wanna do is unpack what Paul says here about the church from four different perspectives. The people, the purpose, the prevention, and the picture. So I wanna walk through each of these And the question that I want you asking yourself is this, how is your passion today for the church? How is your passion for Jesus? And how does that relate to this idea of making disciples? First, the people. When we think about a culture of discipleship, the first thing we need to understand is the critical role that spiritual leaders play. We need to understand who they are and what they're called to. And without detracting in any way from the spiritual resource of the Word and the Spirit, Paul identifies here that God gives people, people to the church as gifts. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, Paul talks about this church, that they ought to walk in a manner worthy of their calling. In verse 3, he says that they should walk in a manner that edifies the unity of the Spirit. And in verse 5, we see this calling to something bigger than themselves, that they're a part of this one Lord, one faith, one baptism. And then verse 7, it says that there's this individual gifting that comes because of Christ's victory. Verse 7 says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. You know what that means? That means that every single one of you, if you're a follower of Jesus, you've been gifted by God for something. You have a unique gift, a gift that's meant to glorify and and honor him, a gifting that's unique from everyone else. For instance, as we were worshiping here, I just, I couldn't help, but I love to watch Miguel when he's in the drum, uh, using his gift in the drums. If I were to be in that little room in the drum containment zone, you would not be edified at all. But that brother worships as he's whacking away on those drums, and my heart is often blessed as I watch him. In fact, I love it when we show him on the screen because I can see him up close and see the joy in his face, and he's using his gifts, and I can celebrate his gifts while I'm using mine and be able to realize that God puts the body together. That's just one person in the way in which God uses the body. So the question is, what's your gift? How is it that God has uniquely gifted you verse 11 takes this a step further not only from the individual gifts but it talks about the different groups of people who have been gifted verse 11 says and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers so there's four different groups he lists apostles and prophets that's the first two I think those are in reference to those who were part of the founding of the early church. I think Ephesians 2 verse 20 identifies that the apostles and the prophets became the foundation of the church. Then he talks about evangelists, which I think means those who plow new ground, those who are trying to reach unreached people groups, those who've never heard, or evangelists sharing the gospel with people who've never heard the message of the gospel. And then he refers here to pastors and teachers. I think this probably communicates one office or one person with two different terms. And the idea is that these pastors and teachers are there caring for a particular people. So what's happening in this text is that Paul is talking about the fact that God is calling out for himself a people— Ephesians 2.19 says that they are fellow citizens with the saints. They're members of the household of God, that that God's doing something bigger than just their individual locality. And his strategy for the growth of this church is the gifting of individual people and the particular gifting of those who serve the church. In other words, the way that God preserves the church is by the right people. So when, when there are problems in Ephesus, Paul doesn't send a manual he doesn't send a book. He doesn't, he doesn't send an instruct, a set of instructions. Instead, he sends Timothy there. He sends a godly man to figure out how to help that church. Or in the case of Titus, he sends him to Crete, and he says, put the things that remain in order. He, he drops a godly man in there and says, figure out, appoint elders. Figure out who needs to provide leadership to the church. For for that matter, in 1 Timothy, and Titus, rather than giving all the instructions as to what the church should do or shouldn't do, instead, Paul gives clear instruction as to the kind of people, the character quality of those who ought to lead the church. That the right kind of leader, or the right kind of leaders, is essential for this disciple-making culture in the church. The point is this. The church fulfills her mission, its disciple-making mission, not by programs, not by strategy. Those things, as helpful as they are, they they don't create disciples. But rather, the church fulfills its disciple-making mission with people by the means of other people. Programs, as helpful as they are, do not create disciples. And yet, here I am talking about a church strategy but I'm talking about that strategy because I need you to be involved in the middle of that strategy or we will never create disciples. Small groups don't create disciples. Adult big groups don't create disciples. Books, study guides don't create disciples. Next generation ministries do not create disciples. People create disciples as they apply the word individually to people's lives. Spiritual growth, as we'll see in a moment, happens is people who are gifted by the Spirit and who are given to the church help to lead others to follow Jesus. Now why is this important? This is important for three reasons. First, it's important because God may place a calling on your life to be involved in some kind of ministry. He may place a calling on your life to be involved in pastoral ministry. He may place a calling on your life to be a part of our spiritual shepherding strategy as an elder, as a small group leader, as a deacon, and you need to know that saying yes to that sort of opportunity, if you're qualified, is to engage in the most important thing on earth, the church. This this is the means by which God orchestrates the discipleship movement that he wants to have happen. The one entity that God has charged with bringing discipleship, bringing the message of the gospel in the world, is the church. The second thing is that while we're going to talk about our strategy in broad categories... I want you to know that programs, bylaws, structures, services are not the sum total of ministry. These helpful tools, they simply create a venue for people-to-people contact that results in more disciples. That's important because you could be in a small group and not create disciples. You could show up on Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. You could come and listen and never be discipled and never make disciples. You see, without people inside ministry doing the work of the ministry, there is no ministry. Third, the reason this is important is that if God brings a a godly leader across your path, you should see that person as a gift from him as a part of God's provision to help you grow spiritually. My guess is that you, like me, can look back on, my, on your own lifetime like I can and see the people that God providentially put in my path in order to help shape Christ's likeness in me. So you should thank God for them and you should do your best to follow them as they follow Christ, as Hebrews thirteen seven says. See, the first ingredient of a healthy church First ingredient of this disciple-making ecosystem is a people who are sent by God and that the people understand that godly people at every level of the church are responsible for seeing disciples produced. So in order for God to accomplish his mission, this God-given mission of disciple-making, he's given us the church. And the church is not just the building. The church is not just the programs. But the church is the collection of people that he's placed in a body. And without people like you, like me, doing the work of ministry, discipleship is never going to happen. But if a body of people understood, I'm here to be a part of this movement called the church, which is more than just a structure, more than a program, more than a strategy, more than a building. I'm here to be a part of helping to make disciples. Then the net total of that can be an amazing reality as people catch the vision of what God has entrusted to their care. Second, there's a purpose. So he's given these people, but to what end? Or let me put it this way, what does real ministry look like? Or what does the work of ministry actually do? You see, it might be tempting to think that because God has given the church these particular people, these offices, then real ministry looks like them doing ministry by themselves, almost as if they're experts, while other people watch. But according to this text, nothing could be further from the truth. Look at verse 12. After saying that he gives these four people as gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherds and teachers. He then says to what end, verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So what is the charge of those who've been entrusted with office within the church? What's my charge? What's our pastor's charge? What's our elders charge? It is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It is to help you to be better prepared to serve and love one another, for you to be what God has intended you to be, namely the church. Listen, this is really important for us to understand and to think about because, remember that gravitational pull of a large church? One of the gravitational pulls of a large church is toward the professionalization of ministry, such that more and more people watch as less and less end up doing the ministry. One of the things we talk about often as a staff is that we're not just, part of a staff so that we can create structures and kind of run the ministry. We're there to disciple people. We're there to engage in people's lives, to to pray for them and with them, and not to be so involved in the maintenance of the ministry that we forget about the disciple-making reality of the ministry. And on your end, it means that when you come on the Lord's Day, when you engage in a small group ministry, when you engage in your, your big groups, or when you're just here after service, that part of the purpose of you being here is not just to be here but to be here so that you can be a part of what this text says, the work of ministry. The word equip, it's a really important word. It means to make fit. It means to complete. It means sufficient. It's the idea of when you would perhaps mend the nets in Matthew chapter four and verse 21, or to set a bone in place. When I hear that definition, I think back to a moment when Savannah was pretty little. She fell, and someone picked her up to try and help her and ended up pulling her elbow out of joint and had what's called nursemaid's elbow. Apparently, it's called that way because nursemaids used to jerk kids along and pull their arms out, I guess. It's a true story. Check it out. Um, so her, elbow, her, her arm was hurting. We thought she had sprained her wrist. We had x-rays. Doctor was like, nah, she just bruised it. Went to bed. She was still whimpering, still hurt. Next morning, she's holding it like this. We said, you know what, we need to get it checked out. So we, um, we called someone that we knew, an orthopedic um, doctor, and we brought her into the office. And she was sitting on the edge of the examination table with her arm held like this. And this doctor walked in the room, and without even touching her, and in three seconds said, oh, I know exactly what's wrong with her. I was just like this. How in the world do you know that? You know, well, he's a doctor, that's why. So, but he looked at her and he said, she, he, she, her elbow's out of joint. He said, So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna bend it, I'm gonna put it back in the joint. I gotta go, I gotta do two things. I have to do it really fast. It's gonna make her really mad. And so when I do it, I'm gonna run out because she's gonna hate me, and then I'm gonna come back in and I'm gonna be her favorite doctor forever. Well, sure enough, he grabbed her arm and oh, it something awful as a parent watching this, and he pulled it, turned it, and went pop, pop, pop. Actually, two pops pop pop and then he ran out of the room because she screamed at him right just, ah! and then a minute later oh that feels good now he walked in and he was the hero <laughs> the, the idea of equipping is just that that people in ministry should be able to identify what is out of joint and then to be able to fix it by virtue of the word or the community, such that there could be healthy functioning within the body. Part of the role, even this morning, is to have things that are out of joint to be reset in your mind and heart. However, this equipping is not just about the growth of individuals. To, To set things in order, the purpose of that is so that the entire ministry can be built up. That's what Paul says. And the role of spiritual leaders is to equip you in such a way that you're healthy enough, not just so that you grow spiritually, that's part of the goal, but the goal is that you grow spiritually enough so that you can help other people, so that you could care for one another, that you could pray for one another, you could talk about the gospel in the community, you can exhort one another, that you can come alongside somebody and realize They have spiritual needs, and you can be a part of that work of building up the body of Christ. So what you need to know is that the vision here is more than just about your individual spiritual growth. It's more than just my spiritual growth. The purpose is that people are engaged spiritually, and they become healthy, such that they can become part of something bigger than themselves. Therefore, spiritual health of a body is measured not just by what people know, but rather spiritual health in terms of discipleship is measured by how our people are engaged in ministry and in the lives of other people. So College Park Church isn't healthy if you just know more Bible. It's not more healthy if you just understand what the Bible teaches This church is healthy and built up if you take that knowledge and that information and you're able to use that and to be able to build up the body of Christ. So August 27th, the last message in this series, we're going to talk about multiply. On that Sunday, we're going to commission the 150 people who are heading over to the Castleton congregation. Part of the vision of the Next Door Mission is starting these new congregations so that it encourages the mobilization of people. It creates space that, is that, that now needs to be filled over here in North Indy. And it also takes those people who maybe were sort of sitting on the sidelines because that's easier to do when it's a large church. And it suddenly puts them in a context where now they need to be engaged in ministry in a very unique way. And I've talked to a number of those folks who are at Castleton, same thing happened at Fishers. They got engaged, and strangely enough, as they got engaged, it did something to their own soul and their walk with Christ. In other words, some of you are here, and part of the problem with your spiritual life is that it's only really about what you know About your experience and about what's going on in your world, and you've almost sort of so individualized spirituality that it's begun to grow in on itself. And the idea is that you see the church as something bigger, something broader than just your individual spiritual growth. So, the question I want you to think through with me this morning is this Is that how you see the church? Do you see it as a place for your spiritual needs to be met, yes, but also a place so that you can minister to others? Let me press this. Think, for instance, of the questions that you might ask a friend or your children or your spouse as you're heading home after a Sunday morning worship gathering. The kind of questions that you might ask would be something like this. So what did you get out of the sermon? Was the worship meaningful to you today? You might ask your children, did you have a good time in Sunday school? And while all these questions, are nothing wrong with them per se, but I think the Bible envisions another set of questions also asked, but ones that we might not be inclined to think that we should be asking. Questions like, to whom did you minister today? Did you have opportunity to pray with anyone? Who encouraged you? What did you learn about the spiritual lives of other people? The the challenge is that some of us think about the church as the place that I go, where I have my needs met, and I go, and I learn, and I sing, and then I leave, and that's church. Look, that may be a form of church, but that's not the vision of church in Ephesians 4. The second set of questions are so incredibly different, and I, I can tell you from my own experience, that it's really easy, if you're not connected to the body of Christ, if you're not connected to this body, you can slide into a very self-focused, cynical, and critical posture. And when I was on sabbatical, had no emotional connection to the churches that I was going to. Was simply a visitor walking in, didn't know a soul. It's really easy to be critical of how you were treated, how you were welcomed, the color of the bulletin, the font size, the number of announcements, the guy who was up front leading the sermon that wasn't that great, or why in the world is the nine o'clock the service has started? There's only ten percent of the people here. You get all these things, and the reality is those things begin to invade your soul because there's no connection to. Oh, look at John's here today. I wonder how so and so is doing. to pray for them. There's no emotional connection. There's no interconnectivity, and for some of you, that's the essence of the problem that you're having right now as it relates to this church or for some of you it may be that you're just this is your first Sunday here and here's my vision for you is that this would be more than just a place that you come more than a church that you attend but rather this is a body of people who know you and you know them because that's the essence of what church is It's to be equipped for the work of ministry. And then look at the vision in verse 13. Until we all attain. So the goal is a collective, unified vision. We come to the unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. In other words, God is building up his church so that it looks like Jesus. And as the church lives on mission, she emanates this aroma of Christ-likeness. So those are the positive things. Here's a negative thing, that there's something that the church is also to prevent. Paul continues, not only is it its purpose to equip the saints for the work of ministry, of building up the body of Christ, but then he says this in verse 14, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. So what he's saying here is, while this is a great vision of what the church is to be, there's also some ditches that we're supposed to stay out of, and the, the church helps us to stay out of them. That The body of Christ helps us in this regard. There's, there's three ditches. If you're taking notes, the, the words immaturity, instability, and ignorance or what the church is supposed to help us with. First, immaturity. He says that we no longer be children. See, we all start as children, and the question is to what extent have we grown out of our sort of childish behaviors? Unhealthy churches are places, if we're honest, where the people in their behavior resemble children and how they think and act. So you've seen that happen in your small group, at a church congregational meeting, some other controversy. What is a healthy church? A healthy church is a place where people are helping one another grow into maturity. We all start as spiritual children, but the goal is to have us not remain there. So Paul says that the church is a environment where immaturity moves to maturity. And then the second thing is, is that we avoid the ditch of instability. He uses the analogy of waves. He says it tosses people to and fro. The the inference is a person who is so heavily influenced by circumstances that they kind of blow from one thing to another. You know this temptation. You've felt it, I'm sure. Maybe it's something very real for you. And I'm sure there's a, there's a handful of people that this really describes you, that when you're here on Sunday, you are one way, but drop you into your fraternity and you're a different dude. Or you're one way on Sunday, but when you go to work, like, you're a completely different person. And the idea is, depending on who you're with and what the context is, like your, what you laugh at, what you talk about, what is important to you, what you're passionate about, it just completely changes. And some of you are so tired because you're trying to live in both worlds and sometimes you forget which game you're playing. And the idea is that the church is to help people to not be driven and tossed back and forth. Or maybe it's from a a cultural perspective that whatever is trending, whatever is cool, whatever is popular, whatever is the prevailing worldview, you you kind of blow along with that. And spiritual maturity instead looks like there's this anchor in your life that you're the same person regardless of the situation. So drop you in the sorority, drop you at your marketplace, go to lunch at McAllister's, shopping at the mall, or whether it's... In the privacy of your own home, you're the same person because there's this deep rooted anchoring that's taken place in your life, and the church is a part of that. And then finally, there's this, this ignorance piece where we are carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness in deceitful schemes. The idea is that some kind of false teaching or wrong thoughts begin to get into your mind and heart. And it is the body of Christ and the regular assembly and the intentional spiritual influence of the church that helps to push back against the tendency to believe lies. And you realize you heard lies all week last week about who you are and what's important and what you should love and what's really attractive and what's really satisfying. And now you come together here and you need a group of people around you to remind you what is true. Here's how it happens. Imagine you're at work or you're at school, you're around people who, who view your view of the Bible as rather naive. They can't believe that you believe that there was a man 2,000 years ago named Jesus who died on the cross for sins and that he rose again from the dead and by believing in that, like your sins are forgiven. And they look at that and they think that's crazy that you believe that. Like, you believe in unicorns too, you know? like fuzzy ones, you know, like what kind of? What do you believe in? And, and then they talk about their lifestyle and the freedom of it with a little bit of a mocking tone, kind of like an arched eyebrow looking at you like, so what do you think about that? And when you have to deal with this day after day after day, it would not be at all surprising if every once in a while a thought races through your mind that sounds like this. Maybe they're right. Why do I believe in this? Why do I have all these restrictions in my life? And it it comes and it goes. And then a few days later, talking with the same people, it comes and it doesn't go as fast. And then it comes and it stays and it stays and it stays. And it lingers a little longer. And over a few days, it starts to take root. You walk by your Bible and you see it closed and you're like, I don't know. So you just go off on your day. Your mind has begun to be deceived, and lies have begun to take root. But then, you gather together with God's people, and you're in a room full of people who are singing great songs. And as they're singing and saying things like this, you are the only king forever. And when that happens, something within your soul goes, no, that's right, that's right no, no, that's what I believe. And all the people around you, as they sing in their voices, they help to pull you along and remind you, no, what I heard last week and that thought that raced in my head, that is not true. It is true. He's alive. He's coming. He's my king. He's the only king forever. And the body of Christ helps you in your belief. And you could never do that if you did that just on your own. You're not that good of a choir by yourself. You need a body of people to to help you. And then you hear the word being taught, and you hear something that's outside of yourself, and you hear the scriptures, and it resonates with your soul, and you say, oh, that's right. Or it corrects wrong thinking, and you think, ah, why was I thinking that way before? And then... After believing that it's true, you go and you hang out with some people in a small group and they talk about their struggles and the lies they were tempted to believe. And you encourage one another and rehearse the gospel to each other and you rehearse the word of God together and you pray together and you leave strengthened to go back out into the world to combat the lies that are tempting to get lodged within your mind and soul. Friends, that is the purpose of the church and that is not a building or a structure or a program or a strategy. That is where all of you you are a really important part of that you may have stood next to somebody and sang them back into hope this morning even if it was way off tune (laughs) your passion for jesus may have just pulled them along the church is meant to be not just a place that you go it's meant to be a place that ignites a passion within you. For some of you, this is part of the reason why you have struggled over the years. You just go from one thing to the next to the next, and I'm really glad you're here, but that's just gonna continue unless you get into a process of becoming a disciple of Jesus. Not just believing in Jesus, but being connected to a body of believers who can help you grow. Finally, the picture here is this. There's this compelling image that Paul ends with He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, which means we tell one another the truth of the gospel, we rehearse it, and we rehearse it over and over in the same way that Jesus was full of grace and truth, so the church is full of truth and love. That speaking the truth in love, he says, we are to grow up in every way into him, into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. It means this, that this picture is of this body of people who are working collectively towards this aim of making disciples, not just the church, not just the leaders, not just the elders, but all of us realizing that people within my sphere, my kids and my friends and my relationships and my small group, I'm responsible to help them grow. That's what it means to be the church. And the end goal that when we close our eyes and think of the word church that we think of the image of Jesus because what God's doing is using all of us to form Christ in each of us to create an environment an ecosystem that creates disciples one of the joys of being here now for almost 10 years is the way in which my life has been intersected with the lives of just amazing and wonderful people, godly pastors that I serve with whose walk with Jesus encourages me it exhorts me. Or being with elders at elders meetings and being around men who want to live for Christ and, and having, having the effect of them on me and them on my own children and on my family so that the reality is, is that spiritual growth for me has not just been about what I'm doing individually but also about all the other people that are helping me to grow and walk with Jesus. People who can point out things that that I wouldn't see how I'm walking with a limp or some sort of dynamic spiritually that just I would be blind to unless somebody else lovingly pointed that out. And if you know what that's like and you've got people in your life who do that for you, you gotta thank God for them. And for that matter, you ought to be looking around you and saying, who can I help in their walk with Christ? Who, God, have you put me in in my orbit to help me and then to help them follow Jesus. If you're a person who's known Jesus for quite a while, 10, 15 years, if you're a senior citizen, so to speak, in the things of God, you have an enormous responsibility to look around and find a young person, somebody younger in the faith, and say, can I just pray for you, help you, and walk with you? The reality is no program, no strategy, is going to be sufficient for that level of need. Instead, what it is is God's people understanding the beautiful vision of what it means to be the church and embracing the vision that where I am and the people you've placed around me, I'm going to do my best to help them follow Jesus. So here's the question and the whole point of what this sermon is about. Can I invite you to do some soul searching this morning and ask yourself, where is your passion? Maybe it's been a great summer. Maybe it's been a really bad summer. Maybe it's been a season where you've been involved in all sorts of really good things, but you come to church this morning, and if you're honest, your passion level for Jesus is low. Maybe you've set your passions on the wrong things, and you know it. Maybe you're here today for that very reason. You're not yet a follower of Jesus and you're, you're searching. You're trying to figure out why your life keeps blowing up in front of you. And it may be that God's calling you today to be done trying to run your own life and instead to say, you know what, I need to believe in someone other than myself and I think that person is Jesus. We'd love to talk with you about this one who's changed our lives. My question to you would be why not trust him today? Why not invite him today to be your savior? Why not say, I'm done? I need to have Christ come in and take control of my life. Secondly, you may be here as a follower of Jesus, but if you're honest, your passion for him is pretty low. Maybe the word that you would use to describe your heart would be the word stale. How long has it been since you've, you've heard God speak to you through the word? How long has it been since you just kind of lingered over the word and loved the fellowship that you have around the scriptures? If, if your heart is stale and you kind of need to make a turn beginning here in August, at the back of the bulletin today, we've provided two things. Number one, I would tell you that when my heart gets stale, the place I immediately go to is scripture memorization. Nothing like the scripture meditation and memorization to help reignite my passion for the Word and for Jesus. And then you may be here and just your time in the Word has been lacking. So here's a way to read through the Gospel of John in 30 days, a way just to kind of reignite your passion for God's Word. And finally, can I just encourage you, as it relates to your passion, to think of being a part of church as more even today, than just what did you get out of Sunday? Our mission is to follow Jesus, but our mission is to follow Jesus together. And over the next couple weeks, we're gonna see how this relates to words like belong and grow and multiply. And what I want you to do is to pray with me that God would help you to take some next steps in your walk with him. That you could join us in in creating this disciple-making culture to realize that God's placed people around you and part of your role in life is to help them grow, to speak the word of God to them, to maybe even after the service to stop and pray for someone, to, to, to find someone and say, the Lord put you on my heart and I just want to wrap my arm around you and just pray for you. Can I do that? The point is this, for you to help us as a church grow together into the likeness of Jesus. Because friends, following Jesus together was never something that we were meant to do on our own. The church is meant to be a community of people whose singular passion is Jesus, who want to be made like him, and whose heart is how can I help other people to do this along with me? That's what it means to be the church. That's what it means to follow Jesus, but to follow Jesus together. Would you pray with me? Lord, you're the great searcher of all things and you know our hearts and we pray that even now you'd help us to know what it is that you're calling us to do. For ways in which our hearts have wandered into the wrong passions, we confess that and repent of it. Or for those whose hearts are stale today, we pray for a turning And Father, for those who are walking through seasons of difficulty, who need this very day the the beautiful body of Christ to help them believe, Lord, would you give them the grace that is needed through brothers and sisters who can help them along. God, we pray that you, by your Spirit, would help us to be a church that makes disciples.